Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. Suppose I'm writing a novel. I write. Mary laid down her book. Next moment came a knock at the door. For Mary, who's got to live in the imaginary time of the story, there's no interval between putting down the book and hearing the knock. But I, her creator, between writing the first part of that sentence and the second, may have gone out for an hour's walk and spent the whole hour thinking about Mary. I know that's not a perfect example, but it may just give a glimpse of what I mean. You're hearing the voice of C.S. Lewis, famed Christian apologist, theologian, lecturer, professor, and author of the beloved Narnia series. This is the lone surviving reel of audio from his famous BBC talks during World War II. In this talk, he poses some very interesting questions about the nature of time, story, self, goodness, and belief. Isn't it very selfish? Even morbid, they say, to be always bothering about the inside of your own soul, instead of thinking of humanity. People who are still acting from their old natural selves won't do much real permanent good to other people. Let me explain that. History isn't just a story of bad people doing bad things. It's quite as much a story of people trying to do good things but somehow something goes wrong. This podcast is born out of the idea that wonder really matters, that wonder is a state of being, it is a goal, it is an aspiration, and it is a, a way of conducting ourselves in the world that saves us from what Wendell Berry called hostile moral certainties. There's a great quote of his, um, Wendell Berry is a great poet and essayist, um, and he wrote, oversimplified moral certainties, always requiring hostility, always potentially violent, isolate us from mercy, pity, peace, and love, and leave us lonely and dangerous. And I think I see a lot of loneliness and a lot of danger, a lot of hostility and violence in the world today. And I think part of the reason for that is that we have, um, we've become very cynical. We're a very cynical group of people here in this society. We don't have much wonder or awe or humility or gratitude when it comes to uh, the world we occupy. And I think that stories uh, are an especially good way to rediscover that wonder, um, both in ourselves and in, in the world. So uh, the name Born of Wonder comes from this quote by St. Gregory the Great, uh, which is, we make idols of our concepts, but wisdom is born of wonder. So in other words, wisdom uh, comes from a putting yourself in a position of experiencing great art and great literature, of being in awe and uh, being confused by the world, being um, 
blown away by how beautiful it is. And I think we need to rediscover some of those emotions. So I'm hoping that this podcast will help us do that. Uh, Again, my name is Katie Marquette, and uh, this podcast sort of started out as another podcast called On Fairy Stories, which you can still find on wherever you're listening to to this podcast on iTunes um, or online. You can go to onfairystories.com. I imagine that this podcast will be very similar, but I wanted to expand this idea because um, fairy fairy tales, um, and especially the way that J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, author of Lord of the Rings, the way that he viewed them can be such a wonderful way to enter into wonder and awe and beauty, but they are only one way. And I didn't want to be um, sort of limited by that. I wanted to be able to, I wanted to explore, um, maybe you can hear my dog rustling around. (laughs) I wanted to be able to explore, uh, you know, the fact that why do dogs make us so happy? Why, what, what is so wonderful about animals? What, What is so soul restoring about them? What is so amazing about traveling or what is so amazing about a hot cup of coffee? But I, I didn't want to be limited to just fairy stories. Um, And I also want to look at art um, on a bigger level and uh, talk about great writers uh, going from everybody from Nora Ephron, you know, author of uh, some great, wonderful essays and screenwriter for When Harry Met Sally and Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail and a lot of great classics to people like Wendell Berry, who I mentioned earlier, or the poet Ted Hughes or St. John Paul II or any of these people who really... um, encaptured the idea of wondering at the world, of seeing the world as infused with meaning and purpose, uh, especially when we view our lives as a story. So that's the mission of this podcast, and I'm also very conscious of the medium that I'm using, which is an audio medium. So whenever possible, I want to um, use uh, audio design and sound design to sort of immerse you in these worlds as much as possible. And a big part of rediscovering wonder is sort of rediscovering a a childlike awe in the world and openness to the world. Uh, As Mae West said, you are never too old to become younger. (laughs) I'm uh, rereading some Anne of Green Gables books. I think that um, she will be a featured um, heroine on on this podcast very soon. And Anne is somebody who is just uh, almost obnoxiously optimistic, but she sees everything as enchanted. Everything is an opportunity to see uh, something beautiful, something fantastic. Trees aren't just trees. They're wood nymphs and dryads. And uh, there's always, you know, a pond is not just a pond, but it's a mystical lake. And if she hears about um, an old grave, she wonders about uh, whose grave it was, and she creates some sort of romantic story around them. And in this way, she infuses um, her entire world with a sense of purpose and meaning and uh, awe. So um, here's a quote from, from the first book, the famous Anne of Green Gables. Isn't it splendid to think of all the things there are to find out? It just makes me feel glad to be alive. It's such an interesting world. It wouldn't be half so interesting if we knew all about everything, would it? There'd be no scope for imagination then, would there? So let's uh, feel free to rediscover imagination, to be uh, childlike and optimistic. Um, there's enough cynicism in the world. So let's, uh, let's just rediscover really great stories. So I'm going to start with C.S. Lewis. I'm going to um, enter into uh, especially his first book, his first Narnia book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, because I think 
that the wardrobe really represents uh, sort of the threshold, what Joseph Campbell would call the um, the beginning of the hero's journey when the, the, the hero or heroine crosses the threshold from the real world into the world of myth and heroics and uh, discovers uh, something uh, amazing about themselves. So, um, and, myth, and here's a quote from Joseph Campbell. He says, myth is much more important and true than history. History is just journalism and you know how reliable that is. <laughs> uh, in 20, 2020 and 2021 have shown us that is very, very true. Um, and as C.S. Lewis said, uh, you know, history is not just a series of terrible things. And I think especially today, um, it can sort of just feel like we're just listing this long litany of like the mistakes we've made as a society. And there's certainly uh, value in reevaluating history and learning from our many, many mistakes. But we have to also be a little charitable and also rediscover the ideals uh, that were, were shaping the world at the time. Let's remember those intentions and also think about how our own intentions can be warped so easily and to be very conscious of that. Um, so history is important to understand, um, but, you know, myths, uh, which, you know, people are very dismissive of now. And nobody, why, why would we be studying Greek mythology or um, reading um, children's books like Narnia when there's so many um, terrible, you know, things going on in the world, so many, uh, so many battles to be fighting in the realms of social justice and other things. But again, as C.S. Lewis said, uh, we are pretty useless to this world at large if we have not um, done the interior work of uh, rediscovering um, who we are in that in that long line of history. So I think that if we don't do that, we're going to get into a lot of trouble because if you send a lot of people out unprepared and without any sort of inner knowledge of themselves or um, awe in the world or understanding of the world or history, you're going to... Uh, you're going to have a lot of very confused people. <laughs> and uh, I think we see that going on. So don't be afraid and don't be apologetic for um, taking time uh, this year um, to, to rediscover wonder and stories and myths and, um, and to do some interior work about uh, where, where you fit in in this um, grand scheme of history and in the story of your own life. I think that th that is important work. And as Carrie Fisher said, I don't want life to imitate art. I want life to be art. So if we want, um, you know, our lives to be an artistic masterpiece, um, if we want to see life as art and as uh, something beautiful and enchanted like Anne of Green Gables, then um, we need to do that interior work. So um, without further ado, let's uh, head into the wardrobe. This must be a simply enormous wardrobe, thought Lucy, going still further in and pushing the soft folds of the coats aside to make room for her. Then she noticed that there was something crunching under her feet. I wonder, is that more mothballs, she thought, stooping down to feel it with her hands. 
But instead of feeling the hard, smooth wood of the floor of the wardrobe, she felt something soft and powdery and extremely cold. This is very queer, she said, and went on a step or two further. Next moment, she found that what was rubbing against her face and hands was no longer soft fur, but something hard and rough and even prickly. Why, it is just like branches of trees, exclaimed Lucy. And then she saw that there was a light ahead of her, not a few inches away where the back of the wardrobe ought to have been, but a long way off. Something cold and soft was falling on her. A moment later, she found that she was standing in the middle of a wood at nighttime with snow under her feet and snowflakes falling through the air. Lucy felt a little frightened, but she felt very inquisitive and excited as well. So begins Lucy's tentative first steps into the world of Narnia. Now, if you've read the books, you know that you never enter Narnia the same way twice. So the Pevensey children in the first book here, first as far as I'm concerned, I know some people have uh, differing beliefs based on the publication order versus the historical order, but anyway, I'm going to refer to it as the first book. But uh, in this in this first book, um, we enter the, war the, the land of Narnia through a wardrobe, through a mundane object. And I don't think that that is accidental. Uh, and it does happen again with a painting or even just quite suddenly at a train station. Uh, there are plenty of ways to enter this world of Narnia. And Narnia represents uh, so many things and it certainly brings out different aspects of the characters in each of the different books. But it's certainly a much more magical world. It's a much more innocent world. Um, it's it's filled with uh, a lot of uh, magical creatures, uh, some of which um, C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis's friend um, Tolkien took uh, offense at, um, seemed uncreative to have a Bacchus and a Minotaur and Santa Claus uh, when you could create a whole world for yourself in a whole language like Elvish, but different styles, both very talented, both beautiful stories. So Narnia sort of infuses uh, this magical land of myth and dreams and innocence, um, but it's not without its problems. So um, we should also note that um, when Edmund, Lucy's brother, enters the wardrobe, he's met with a very different kind of world. Um, whereas Lucy goes on to meet her friend, the fawn, Mr. Tumnus, have a lovely tea. And um, even though he initially wonders about uh, giving her up to the White Witch, he realizes uh, the error of his ways and sees her safely home, back to the lamppost, back to the wardrobe, uh, or the land of wardrobe. <laughs> Uh, in spare oom, as he calls it. But when Ed Edmund enters, he uh, does not meet Mr. Tumnus. He's not greeted kindly. He is, uh, he's, he's greeted by the White Witch. Um, nobody uh, makes sleigh bells scarier than she does. So this White Witch uh, quickly realizes who he is and the significance of his coming into Narnia, um, a boy, a son of Adam because there's a great prophecy that says that if two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve sit on the thrones of Caerpervel again, then uh, the witch's reign, where she has been ruling unjustly over Narnia, always winter, never Christmas, uh, that her reign will come to an end. So she sees uh, the potential danger of Edmund, but she also sees his weakness. And uh, she bribes him with sweets, with Turkish delight. Um, I don't know if anybody's had Turkish delight, but it's kind of odd tasting, um, but I remember when I was little, I thought it must just be the most delicious thing in the world because Edmund was basically selling his soul for this, 
So um, imagine the most delicious thing in the world to you. And uh, that's what Edmund gets. Um, and there's a great line um, where it talks about sort of how he's perpetually hungry, though, after he's sort of inhaled all this uh, Turkish delight. He's still so hungry. Uh, and when he later is offered a really good meal, he, he, he can't even appreciate it because bad magic food has spoiled him for good real food. Uh, so there's plenty, plenty of uh, symbolism there. But the idea here, and especially if we're looking at Narnia as a world of wonder, as a metaphor for how we can enter into wonder, into, um, into magical worlds, into story, is that uh, it doesn't mean that stories are always safe. Um, and Aslan, the great lion who uh, rules over, uh, over Narnia and many other worlds, is, uh, everybody is quick to say that he's not a tame lion. He, he isn't safe, but he's good. And so that's very important to remember about stories is that uh, they are supposed to be challenging. And um, these uh, wonderful whimsical worlds um, that seem very beautiful on the surface also have um, their fair share of evil. Um, and if we understand evil in that world, we may be better able to recognize it in our own world. So um, Lucy enters and finds a beautiful magical world. Edmund enters and finds um, himself at, uh, at the mercy of the White Witch who deceives him. So this also goes back to C.S. Lewis's initial ideas about uh, if we don't do that interior work on ourselves, that we are very vulnerable, that we are vulnerable to uh, deceit and that we are vulnerable to temptations, uh, to Turkish delight, um, that we're gonna sell our souls for some Turkish delight, um, and the promise of uh, being better than our brothers and sisters and having um, the best throne in all the land. Um, whereas Lucy, who is uh, the youngest of the children, the most innocent in many ways, but also the most honest, uh, she is able to enter into the world with clear eyes, Lucy meaning light, uh, bringing light into the world. So um, we want to try to be, be like Lucy uh, when we enter into stories. Um, and I think that uh, Narnia, especially The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, teaches us about the value of entering into those worlds and what it's like when we come out of them, too. There's a great um, quote here from the book, um, it, and it says, if ever they remembered their life in this world, it was as one remembers a dream. And he's talking about um, after the children have... Uh, have won the day. They go on and actually become the kings and queens of Narnia. They they grow old, um, you know, not old, but into you know into adulthood, uh, and they are great, just rulers. Um, they rule over over this land, and it's this high point in Narnian history. But um, at some point, they've sort of forgotten their life in uh, in our world, in the quote unquote real world. And when they find their way back, um, it is like they've been in a dream in Narnia. But um, it doesn't mean that it's any less real, which also makes me think of um, in Harry Potter when uh, when Harry has essentially died, when Voldemort has killed him, and uh, he meets Dumbledore and he says, you know, am I dreaming? You know, what's going on? And Dumbledore says, of course you're dreaming, but that doesn't mean it's not real. It doesn't mean, yes, this, of course, this is happening in your own mind, but what does that have to do with reality? <laughs> and I think we have to take Dumbledore's approach. We have to take the Narnian approach, the professor's approach that says, uh, you know, what we think of as real, we really need to, we need to be careful about the parameters we put on that because some of the deepest, truest experiences in life um, maybe uh, will feel a bit like a dream. Maybe they are dreams. Um, maybe they are stories. And, but that doesn't make them any less real or valuable, and sometimes it makes them more valuable. 
So um, these are the lessons of, of Narnia. I, if you haven't read Narnia, I, I can't recommend it enough. Um, I actually just reread the whole series, and I do have to admit that I think it goes downhill a bit after uh, The Silver Chair. Bruce, stop snoring. I don't know if maybe... <laughs> I don't know if I'll include my dog snoring in this, but it's real life. It's also wonderful. Um, that, uh, yeah, it, it does go downhill a bit um, as far as uh, sort of the depth of the theology and the um, quality of the story, but that's just my opinion, so we can certainly argue about that if you want to send me an email or something. We can have a good debate about whether or not The Last Battle is any good. So um, it's a beautiful series. Uh, it teaches us a lot about um, the world of story, of entering into wonder, of, be of being open and pure and good and... Um, and imaginative like Lucy is and, and trusting in in our experiences. You know, the first time she goes in, she comes back so excited to tell her brothers and sister um, what has happened, that they, she's discovered this magical world, and of course they don't believe her. Uh, but she never doubts the truth of her experience. So um, we need to also keep that in mind as we, as we tell our own stories and we rediscover these stories for ourselves. So I want to uh, conclude uh, all these episodes with um, maybe like a beautiful piece of music or something that's really inspiring and wonder wonderful. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of uh, Danish string quartet. They were uh, featured on NPR's uh, Tiny Desk concert a few years ago. Um, but their music is just wonderful. And there's this one song that I just absolutely love. It just, if I put it on, I'm always in a good mood once I hear it it's called the Pete dance so I will just uh, pay play about um, 30 seconds of it here um, and you can look it up on YouTube or whatever music app you use um, and while you're at it uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast um, please leave a review especially with a new podcast like this uh, it really relies on people leaving reviews and especially leaving like a comment or something like that so that it will show up in searches um, you can go to bornofwonder.com um, that's sort of my catch-all website for my audio work and uh, I also blog there and post essays and updates and all sort of things so um, thank you so much for listening um, and I hope that we will have a lot of fun on this podcast and rediscovering wonder and uh, rediscovering great stories I'm Katie Marquette and you've been listening to Born of Wonder It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. <laughs>